0: are you worrying about your child's reading skills if you are you are not alone on average about 25 percent of school children in the early grades struggle with reading that number is even higher for kids with adhd ranges anywhere from 30 to 50 percent of kids with adhd have some kind of a learning difficulty often in reading or writing You are listening to Finding Your Brilliance, podcast episode number 16, and I'm your host, Katherine Kwee. Today, I am speaking with Mary House, who is a literary consultant and reading interventionist. She has a 20-plus year career in education. She's also a parent educator and a workshop facilitator. I met Mary at the YMCA in an exercise class entitled Cardio Kick. It was somewhere around 15 years ago. We have been good friends ever since. And in fact, one of the ways that I got to know Mary was through our discussions about her students and mine during our water breaks in class. Mary would tell me that she had a student who was struggling with something like focus or reading or making friends, you name it. And that student was even on her mind on Saturday mornings during our workouts. And so that's really how I got to know Mary. And I shared a lot with her about things in my family. Obviously, you guys know I have a son who has ADHD. He struggled with reading too and writing. So Mary was a support to me. Mary has just been a lovely person in my life, and I invited her to be on my podcast and sort of reluctantly she agreed. It's hard to get into this world where we are, quote, experts, right? In a certain area.
1: That is very true. And thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. Um, Yes, to consider myself an expert is a little bit of a struggle for me. But I'm just trying to not that, let that piece get in my way and just offer help to kids and families.
0: Yeah. So the my podcast is called Finding Your Brilliance um, because I truly believe that all kids, all people have areas of brilliance that we, half the time, we don't even know we're walking around with. We don't know. I'm sure, Mary, when you were younger, you weren't probably thinking, yeah, I'm going to be a reading specialist right and yeah. and yet so many of the kids the families who listen to this podcast talk with me about learning lags and their worries and i wanted you to have a place to share about what you're doing and yeah. you know you've recently maybe you can talk about the transition in your work What have you been up to?
1: So um, I left the public school system in June. Um, I ended my career as a literacy coach. Um, Prior to that, I was an instructional coach. Prior to that, I was a reading interventionist. And prior to that, I was a classroom teacher. And then parent education kind of intermixed in there. But I just really felt like there was such a need for reading support for kids outside the four walls of a school. And... Perhaps equally importantly, parents needed support in navigating how to help, what help looks like, who should I be trying to find? Because when you're worrying about a child, that's taxing on a parent. I just felt the need. I had so many conversations over the years, but in particular in the last five in my most recent role with parents who would come and say, I'm so worried my child's behind and yeah. the classroom teacher is doing a great job, but they're not, they're just not catching up and they're mm-hmm. on that, they can't catch up. And I don't know what to do. And it's causing stress in our relationship because I'm trying to repeat school at home, you know, after they get home, I just felt called to support parents and kids outside the school system. So for me, the big idea really is to empower kids to be strategic confident readers. Like that is my whole mission, but also with that to empower parents to best help their kids and know when it's time for them to take a step back and find somebody else to help. It's a dual role. I work with parents. I walk right alongside them. I'm in the trenches with them trying to figure out what's going on. And I'm, I'm always advocating for the kids with my eye on kind of the biggest goal is a confident, joyful reader. Because it just, it pains me when kids hate reading, it is usually because it's hard and it is like knocking your head against a wall. And so really the bottom line is I want all children to just be confident and joyful and love reading. That's kind of what inspired me
0: tell me about your work. Like I look at your website. It's so beautiful. There's pictures of you at your desk or various desks sitting beside kids who have their little faces down right by you. And they're so earnestly blending or trying to blend their sounds. And tell me about what would the process be and what I saw on your website also, that you have an assessment that you do with kids. So maybe Without sharing the name of a child, give an example about, okay, this is, you know, maybe just make it more real for parents right now. Sure. Give a sense of that.
1: Sure. I'll, I'll do the one that's most recent to my mind. So I had a parent contact me, just found me on the website and said, I'm really, really worried about my child. She's in second grade. She's really behind, and with COVID, she hasn't been getting extra support at school, and these needs have been there since kindergarten or pre kindergarten. I really need help. I don't really know what to do. So, I did a full battery assessment. So when I do an assessment, I'm looking for, I look through kind of the five pillars of reading. So phonemic awareness, phonics, vocabulary, comprehension, and fluency. So I look at all those pieces. Now, all of those pieces, depending on the student, aren't equally weighted. A very young reader, we're gonna be talking more about phonemic awareness and phonics, but they all kind of intertwine. So I do a full assessment and decide Where the child is and what the current needs are, and then make an instructional plan for how that would look if they worked with me. Now, I do want to add an important piece that my assessment isn't something you take to school and say, Here, this lady said that my child's behind. I'm using research based assessments that I've used in my career, likely some of the same ones the schools are using. So the assessment is for me and my purposes and for the parents to know exactly where the holes are, because it it definitely shows what's going on. And so from there, I create the plan and then I lay out for them what a targeted learning session might look like. What are the components that I would hit with the child each time? And then we kind of go from there and decide, is this a plan you want to try out? There's kind of two options. They can opt in with me to work with their child or... Um, They can do a little separate consult with me where I might walk them through, okay, here's, they're really struggling with sight words, for example. Here's how you can teach. Here's a little routine to teach sight words that will make them stick and so on and so forth. So with this particular student, she was significantly further behind than even the mom was aware. And where we found the significant holes were in phonemic awareness, which is all auditory processing, meaning, can they hold the sounds in their head, just the sounds, take the letters out of it. It's just the sounds. Can they hold those sounds in their head as they're blending a word long enough to put the word back together? In her case, she just couldn't. So I'm doing a lot of slowing down and backtracking to phonemic awareness and then doing the phonics. So they kind of go hand in hand. And then I have also had done some separate consultations with her mom because the mom is really really concerned and wanting to make sure she's getting what she needs at school. So I'm just helping her navigate that world. Like, here's what you might ask the teacher. Here's what you might expect. And when should you check back in with the teacher? Oh
0: my gosh. That's so helpful, Mary.
1: And she had, she struggled because she said, I don't want to be that pain in the neck parent. And I said, you know, as a teacher, We celebrate when parents do advocate for their kids. So you're not a pain in the neck. You're advocating for your child because you love them. And you're going to do it in a positive way. You're not doing it to call them out or their methods out. It's, I want to make sure my child gets the help they need. So I've been working with this child for three or four months, and she's definitely making headway. And I do every six weeks or so, I do a little data check on her and share. Mm -hmm. And then I reset myself so that I know where I'm going with her. And then I share that. With the parents too. So,
0: oh my gosh, I, when you're talking about this, Mary, it's so much reminding me of the support we got for our son when he was lagging in reading and just taking my son to her home and sitting in the living room and having her be the one to kind of provide like little mini rewards and encouragement. And I had been so frustrated with him and worn out. And he did these funny things. He would press his, his little palms into his eyes. And he would, he was always out of his seat moving around. And she just had this way of soothing me too.
1: Mm -hmm. And
0: she gave us some homework and things to do. And it just, she created a little binder for, for him and just soothing. So you're there to encourage, to guide the parent, to model for the parent. Also, I'm sure you're doing a lot of that. And this is happening. You see families, they come to you, right?
1: Couple virtual. And I do have them come to me. And it's funny because um, they always ask, what should I do before I start the tutoring or this learning sessions? They say, what should I do while they're with you? I am like, stay like, please stay because I think they often will see their child in a different light and how they respond to certain things I'm doing. And they're, they're listening. They're not at the table with me, but they're in the living room and I'm, you know, sitting 20 feet away with their child and all of them have said, it's so nice to hear the language you use when you're working with my son or daughter, when you know to back off, uh, let them take the reins or when to step in. That's another, um, I don't know, when I think about what I've learned in the last 20 years, really the biggest thing is that fine line between independence and dependence. Yeah. You really want that child who's learning how to read to be independent. And it is so hard to know how to prompt them for independence. In, in and in a teaching world, it's called scaffolding. So I'm scaffolding oh. my prompting, you know, it might start with a, a very specific prompt, like that letter says, try that. But uh-huh. then it would go back to what do you know about that letter? Uh, Then it comes to what do you, what should you do? What could you try right now? So you can see the levels of scaffolding that then promotes independence. And when a reader is struggling, it's human nature. They just want to depend on whoever's sitting next to them because it's a scary proposition to not be able to read words. I want to share just a little something that happened yesterday. Speaking of um, scary, I was reading with a little girl And she's got a very strong sight word vocabulary because she can memorize them. I said, you're so good with those words. And then we got to words she had to decode or sound out. And I could just tell, I mean, there was just a change in her, her whole attitude. And I said, how are you feeling right now? She goes, I don't like this because it's scary when I don't know the word. Oh, and I said, you know what, though? You have strategies now. You have a little strategy toolkit. You know just what to do when that happens. She kind of looked at me and I said, you do. You have a toolkit. She goes, I kind of have a superpower then. I said, (gasps) you do. You do. And just that empowering her, like you're in control. The word's not in control of you. You are in control. You You can do it. There's that. But I don't know. I've just learned so much about the independence and um, versus de- dependence on whoever's um, working with the child. So.
0: Well, you're helping her find her brilliance. That's what we want for these mm-hmm. little ones and for ourselves too. Cause you're also helping the parent really just see a different way. I want to ask you to also help us understand, help me, When you have students who have ADHD, which I know you see kids that have more of the inattentive type kids, obviously with learning disabilities, focusing is harder, but as you and I know, when we have a child with ADHD, whether it's the inattentive type or more of the hyperactive impulsive type, it is harder. The tutoring is harder. Their learning process is harder. What would you advise? What do you notice about those kids And what do you do specifically? I guess I should say, in your tutoring?
1: There's such a significant impact with learning struggles on reading, right away you think dyslexia, but ADHD really, really impacts how a child learns how to read in every single area, whether it's decoding or fluency, vocabulary or comprehension. <laughs> I mean, it just, it kind of infiltrates all those pieces. Of course, there's, there's multisensory tasks, especially in learning the phonics and learning how to decode multisensory um, ways to do that, whether they're tapping the sounds or pushing little into boxes when they're doing that, just so physically they can do something too. I'll have kids stand up and stomp for that. I'll have kids fingers spell. There's all kinds of things like that. Uh, Movement breaks. I do believe children can still learn when they're moving. So if they need to stand, that's okay. If they need to do a twirl after each word, that's okay. (laughs) I mean, um, so The other thing that I find powerful with um, students with ADHD is to have a checklist or an outline of my plan with them. So they're so used to that now. So they'll come and say, how many things do we have today? I'm like, we have five. Here they are. And they just check off as we get the things done. And then kind of that scaffold, they really do need to see a model of what I'm asking them to do. So I'll do it. We'll do it together. Now you do it. And they're just used to that. Yeah. Routine. It gives them kind of a visual of this is what this is supposed to look like. Yes. Um, and then when they're doing writing the power of some type of graphic organizer or a bullet point list, once they get their idea, jot down a little piece of that and then move to the next idea because they're going to forget what they were going to say. I mean, it's just, that's just how it is. Yes. So having some sort of outline helps them. And then visual directions, of course, um, in addition to the verbal and written. um. Also, I think work samples. So showing them what an end product might look like. Now, in a reading situation, I might say that somebody reading a chapter book or something that has quite a lot of text and we're working on fluency, I probably would model with a paragraph. This is how fluency sounds. Watch me do it. And I physically do it. Now, what did you notice? What did you notice me doing? And then they say it back to me now you try. So yeah. it's that, that whole idea. I just think kids need to be able to move and need to be able to physically have something um, tangible that will help them move forward, whether yes. it's reading,
0: writing, whatever it is. Just hearing you say that is exciting for me because it's truly what I've been talking about with college students, with high school students, show the student like a sample of what that essay is supposed to look like Mm -hmm. and what an intro paragraph and show them how many sentences exactly do you think could be an introduction paragraph. And I'm having students during therapy, during my virtual therapy saying, stand on your right leg. Now let's have you stand on your left leg just to have them focus on balancing on one leg or the other, because it helps them engage during my session Mm -hmm. during all of that that you're talking about. And then I remember telling coaches for my son, don't ask him to do the hockey drill first, because you've just given the directions and tracking those directions will be harder. If you can have him go after four or five other students, he'll be able to get that drill so much easier. So you're talking about that and you see that too, the need for kids with ADHD to really see it. Mm -hmm. You see that too. Mm
1: -hmm. And I think a lot of when I was coaching teachers and talking about how to scaffold any lesson, really, it didn't matter what content area was, any lesson, it kind of took them a while to not have it feel like it was cheating or giving them answers to do a model. I mean, I go back to if I'm teaching a child how to write an essay, I'm going to have a mentor text for them to look at. Yes. Or for me to read to them so they can be like, oh, that's how it sounds. And that author can do it. I can probably do that too, because now I've seen how it's done. But I think for teachers, they're finally getting around to in this era that the power of an anchor or a mentor text or a mentor's, a sample, whatever it is, is incredible for kids, yes. all kids but especially kids with ADHD.
0: Well, you know, having you talk. I have never even been in this in-depth with a discussion with you about what you know as a teacher on how to support students with ADHD. And Mary, as I'm listening to you, oh my gosh, I have so many ideas on how you could, I know you have. so many other things going, but we'll, we'll talk more Uh, just about the voice that the knowledge base you have that I don't have, because you've been in the school system and the knowledge base on how that whole school system works and how to bridge all of these things. Mm -hmm. I'm so grateful for you for being here today and chatting with me and sharing what, you know, thank you, Mary.
1: Yes. Thank you so much for having me.
0: Thank you all for listening to us and for joining us on Finding Your Brilliance. Again, my guest today was Mary House. She is the founder of Mary House Literacy. And if you'd like to work with Mary, you can reach out to her by going to her website, MaryHouseLiteracy.com. If this topic speaks to you, feel free to subscribe to my podcast. Until we meet again, just remember that we each have our own special areas of brilliance. Sometimes it just takes us a while to find them.